Steve Coulter is a writer, editor of his hometown newspaper. Despite the slights about millennials, Steve is all about commitment to his wife, his work, his family, and friends. The one area where Steve could do with a little more commitment is to himself. Solving Steve is a way to unblock the real writer. Recorded at Dimitri's Diner in the heart of Ridgefield, Connecticut, this is Solving Steve. Solving Steve, episode three. Steve, how are you? I'm doing good. Nice to see you again. It's good to see you as well, Scott. Let's start uh, as we have the last few times. Uh, we're talking about you as a writer. Let me get into your head a little bit. What have you been writing lately, and have you written anything that you're you're happy with? I, you know, for the first time in a while, I am. I got uh, caught a little lightning in a bottle recently. I had this idea for a story uh, about this guy who, you know, doesn't have a job, and he ends up catching, uh, getting onto a boat, and he's going out to sea as a fisherman. It's just the first chapter. Uh, just, the, you know, all I did was write him getting onto the boat, having a conversation with, you know, the guy who will be his mentor leader on the boat and then they're out at sea so it's the kind of build-up of him getting onto the boat him first being on the boat first conversations chapter concludes but uh you know it just came right out of me like four pages what triggered it you know i've been kicking around this idea for a while uh the the title of this story was going to be 101 interviews and a trip to the sun and about a guy who just does 101 interviews with different people and I just there's something about the vagabond lifestyle, and so it's kind of an infusion of talking to a bunch of different people uh, that kind of led me to this character, and he's just he's just kind of a kind of a low life, but he's um, interested in traveling the world and, and meeting new people. So uh, the one idea has kind of merged into the, the interviews. One was more of like a corporate idea where he's like interviewing CEOs and stuff. So this it's much different in, tr- in terms of the character but like the idea is that he's kind of exploring and he's got nothing else going on so it's like why not go out to sea and be a fisherman so uh that was where it kind of came from uh there's something about it too like i'm kind of in a parallel situation with my life where it's like i don't know where i'm going so it's uh kind of fun to explore working it through yeah exactly isn't it exciting though when something just kind of you feel like it falls out of nowhere for you yeah it just feels right and, and it starts to click and you get that you get that thought that this might just be an unbelievably great idea. Who knows where this is going to go? Isn't that an exciting yeah. feeling? Yeah, I mean, it might not it might not be anything, but it, it, for me, it felt good to get all that stuff out, and it was like it just really flowed nicely. We talked about it in the first episode of my mom's birthday note. It's just like when you're in that zone and you kind of hit that high, it's like you're running the marathon, and you're you know nothing can stop you. It's like almost had a runner's high, at a writer writer's high, so to speak. And the other thing that kind of sparked it was that. I keep telling myself, or, you know, you writers are always told, no, write what you know, write what you know, write what you know, write what you know. It's like, I don't know anything about boating, but it's like I almost have now, as I continue to try to write this project, I'm going to be doing more research into, like, what it is to be, like, a fisherman. So it's like I'm actually kind of engaged on it in a sort of, like, real-life level of doing the research and that kind of figuring it out as I go I think will be fun versus... I think a lot of the ideas I've had in the past, I, I, I've had two stories that I've written that I haven't really been able to complete. And one of them is about a kid who comes back to his hometown after his friend died. So it's like a very personal story for me. And then the other one is about these two different creative guys who are uh, trying to come up with their second big idea. They've hit a home run uh, with their first project, a big movie, comic book movie, whatever. Um, I haven't really been able to finish either of those ideas, but this one's fun. Cause it's not like those other ones, like the, both of them are like the 
stories about writers, so it's like it's very, you know, I could see myself in the characters, whereas the fisherman, I could see myself, but it's not actually, you know, anything I know how to do. And uh, I just like the idea of writing what I don't know. For the first time ever, I've really never thought about writing a story that's not super duper personal. I've, you know, I've never been a fisherman, so it's like. There's a lot of artists that have so much unfinished work, whether it's yeah. music, writing, I don't know if painters have a lot of, you know, partial canvases laying around. It's just it, ideas that um, for one reason or another you don't get a chance to keep seeing through, or maybe you do. Some you hear about where they'll come back to it. Uh, a writer who has, you know, a box of notes that maybe it takes Oh, I have a box in my through. car. Yeah. Yeah, it's really bad. The two stories I just talked about, are, they're, yeah, they're both in my car, like in a box. Characters, the whole nine yards. I, I have to finish them. I will, but it's... Uh, you know, being super close to the two worlds, and I was thinking about it because I was out at a wedding uh, this weekend. It's like I only know Richfield and Denver. I have friends and family here in the Northeast, and I have friends in Colorado, and then I've got pockets of family elsewhere, Florida, California, Texas. Um, but We're going to come back to that wedding in, yeah. in a minute in another segment. Let's do this, though. We're talking about the kind of writing where there is no deadline because it's totally creative, it's totally free, and it's totally just coming out of your mind. You also work in a world where it has intense deadlines, and that's two very opposite ends of the, the sort of spectrum, I guess. Right, but yeah. Writing this little fish story is, is much different than what's actually going on in my real life at uh, 9 to 5, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, let's go into the 9 to 5 a little bit. Let's go into the, into the newsroom. Let's yeah. go top of the fold now. Uh, on the podcast and talk about um, what you're writing about from a news standpoint and uh, some things that are on your mind right now. Yeah, so... Uh, also how news is being made, because we also talk about that. This Not is, just some stories, but also the, uh, the sort of sausage getting made part. This is sausage getting made, more than we've ever done on this show before. So uh, I didn't do this directly, but I got to watch it, uh, you know, right next to me. Peter on my staff was part of this huge series that just came out last week. Sex Scandal Boys and Girls uh, Club Across America, 295 different people accused of abuse, and they set up a whole map that people can click on, different, you know, boys and girls clubs where there have been claims of sexual abuse throughout the country over the last several decades. But So anyways, he, what he was doing for the last five months was calling all sorts of courthouses across the country, interviewing people, finding uh, different people that have come forward uh with uh kind of accusations um and it's just been kind of wild to see him press different points um he did a lot of work in florida and oregon um and it, it, just seeing it come together last week in print and reading the story and then interacting with the map was just a lot of fun did it, he always have a sense of where it was going the entire well time? he's on a team of six so think of spotlight the movie you know like they were hunting down the catholic church and so he was with six other people that were so he's part of a team that broke it. Yeah, yeah, and this was all us too. And then Washington Post took it, New York Times took it. It's been aggregated all over the country now. So it's definitely a, it's made a splash for sure. What was that feeling? And it felt good. Yeah, it was great that he. I was able to, you know, offer him up to this team. They asked me, you know, can we use him? And so it's been, it's put a strain on our newsroom for sure. But the product, reading it last week made those five months of uh, agony worth, worthwhile, I think, because it was something substantial. And the, again, I wasn't directly correlated to it, but you know, they thanked all the editors that allowed uh, writers to work on the project last week. So I felt like I had, yeah, obviously I gave was, an assist. I gave him away, basically. So 
was he checking in with you along the way the entire time to kind of keep you posted on what he was working on? Yeah, yeah. So he would going? come back to us like on and off, maybe like a week or two, and then he would go back into that for a week, and then you know, so it was like on and off. He he would be writing for us, but it was a lot, you know, of intense. He's talking about you know, kids swimming, naked kids, eleven to twelve years old, and these adults that are you know, getting them into the pool or into the shower. So it's like not easy stuff to deal with. How did that process of doing that work uh, change him and affect him, not only because of the content of the story, but also the project itself? What changes did you see in him? I think he's all totally more confident. Uh, it's amazing to see. He's not a... Uh, I don't, I don't want to say he was afraid beforehand, but yeah, he was definitely a little skittish, I think, to uh, press people uh, on the tougher questions. And now that he's done this, I think he has that experience of... Uh, you know, he, he was uncomfortable for five months. As I said, it's not easy to write about this kind of stuff and well, research. What did it require it. from him to be able to do that kind of work that the average person might not understand? From a, from a, an investigative reporter standpoint, what it is that they're doing that is special and unique? Because we need that kind of work more than ever. Right. Yeah, no, I think it. Uh, this project really emphasized that we do need you know, to keep newspapers alive. Because if we're going to go towards the direction where it's everybody's just blogging about the five best pieces, places to have pizza, like we talked about in the last uh, podcast, you know, then there is no at risk. And that's the name of the project, at risk, was, was how it was kind of branded by uh, our company. Uh, I'm sorry, what was your question about what well, he was doing specific? Oh, as a journalist? What it, the kind of things that it takes to be able to do that kind of work yeah, I think that it was, are unique that the average person might not really understand. Yeah, I think it's learning the the kind of um, the legalities of it, really, because a lot of it is accusations that haven't been um, totally brought through the court system. So some of them are still in, in the court system, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So... Um, figuring out which claims have actually gotten justice, which ones have uh, basically been, the dirt's been thrown over them, so to speak, and then which ones are still kind of going on and breaking those different types of cases down. Because not every case is the same, right? And every state is different. Every Boys and Girls Club is different. And uh, one of the crazier things, too, is that they have no, like, database for, like, they knew this was kind of going on, but they don't have a database of offenders. So that was kind of like the one of the wilder revelations, you know. It was like the church, when they had their thing, I think it came out as that they were shuffling. You know, they were moving around people. This was more like, which is oh, even, you know. Which is even more sinister. Right, exactly. And this was more just like uh, laissez-faire. It was like, you know, Joe was here for three years at the Bend, Oregon Boys and I don't know. I'm not trying to say the Boys and Girls Club in Bend, Oregon is the one. Yeah, I'm just making that up. But like, you know, uh, you know, Joe came in for three years and, you know, Kelly and Leslie accused him of this in 1994. And, you know, it ended up being the truth. To an earlier point that we were making about clickbait and about uh, the, the rules of journalism now of, of competing in this fast paced world, that kind of journalism you're talking about is a luxury because it requires paying somebody to just go off and do their thing and yeah. let them go and They've got it. It takes time. It takes a tremendous amount. You're not constantly yeah, going from, oh, I'm just going to drive over there, get that information I need. They're sitting and thinking and wondering and waiting and putting dots together that takes time. I took, yeah. To answer your, you just answered your earlier question is, what is he doing that other, it, patience. That's really what it is. It's waiting for the calls back. It's waiting for the documents. I mean, he'd have stuff mailed to him at the office. We're talking, you know, 
300 pages of different documents and binders and stuff coming from all over the country. So it's, it is a waiting game, I guess. And to your point of the instant gratification, you can't just post a story that says, the Boys and Girls Club in America is in deep shit. Yeah. I wouldn't even say if they're in deep shit. I don't know if they're in the same category as the church, but they definitely have some figuring out to do with... There needs to be a comeuppance. Exactly. Yeah, coming to Jesus moment. So that had to be not only a really difficult piece of work for him, but stories like that, that you are a part of, probably only come along if, for anyone once, twice, who knows how many times a, a career... Yeah. That's a uh, career maker. I was going to say, definitely as a career maker, and actually as a result of working on this story, he's actually moving on to a different gig. So it's worked out for him. Uh, we're very happy for him. And uh, I I never am mad seeing anyone leave. You know, I've had people leave staff. This is actually my the most happy I've been because it's like I really feel like he's come a long way uh, as a writer. And I, you know, hopefully under my tutelage, it's helped uh, some. Got a root. <laughs> Got a root for people. Yeah, but to your point, you know, that he's it doesn't happen often. You know, you're you're not put on a project like this where you're you're given the five months of time and uh, to to do the nitty gritty work. It, a lot of to the earlier point about patience, a lot of media companies don't have that. So it's applaudable that my company gave these six people, you know, salaries for this long of time to work on this story, and they thought it was good enough to put them out there. And uh, yeah, Peter's. Moving on, and so we're heading into election season a man down, we uh -oh. have, and now we've been tasked with <laughs> covering the local political scene. We have to do questionnaires and candidate profiles, uh, short-staffed, yeah. so it's like playing uh, with 10 guys on the football field when the other team is 11, so it's, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out this fall. That was excellent. Good. Now I don't know where to go from there. Kelly and I are going to start eating a map. Mm-hmm. Start circling places you exactly. Let's uh, let's get away from writing for just a moment, and uh, let's talk about you. You just got married. We talked about that last podcast, but weddings have been a big part of your at your age. They keep coming. We had seven. Everybody you know gets married yeah. at about your age. It seems right. We uh, had seven in twenty eighteen. We have three this year. We just got back from one, so yeah, we have three more. I mean, the most recent wedding you've been at isn't your own, and you're a newlywed. Yes. So where were you just now? We were in Colorado. My friend Phil got married on Saturday. Uh, Highlands Ranch Mansion. It was a lovely time. Beautiful, beautiful venue. Uh, but yeah, he's one. We've been out of Florida, Maryland, California, and Colorado for weddings, and I have to travel to Chicago on New Year's Eve for another wedding this year. <laughs> it's got to be a love-hate thing. You know what? People get crazy about weddings, and they. It's all—it's a one-upsmanship game at this point. It really is. It's—it's it's, uh, the destination stuff, and not just for weddings. There's de destinations now for the for the bachelor party, bachelor yeah. party. bachelorette party. I had a friend's girlfriend. She had to go to Cozumel, Mexico, for the bachelorette party, and then she had to go to Antigua for the wedding. Two two trips to the Caribbean for one bride. Good news is everybody's rich, so it didn't matter. Of you, course, yeah, we're all lucrative. You can't right? afford that and the dress. Twenty-eight years old, of course you can. <laughs> <laughs> Two trips to the Caribbean in one year, of course. So how, was the, how was the wedding uh, out in Colorado? It was good. And speaking of the one-upsmanship, uh, my friend, they did six songs. It was like multi-layered. Their dance was like six songs in one. It was a mashup? <laughs> yeah, a mashup. And then like, like they came the thing that they came into the room with, you mean? No, their first dance started oh. as one song, and then it kept going to different songs, and they were doing different little dance numbers. It had been choreographed? Yes, exactly. And then it 
the DJ got them out to the original song and then they like finished it up. But it was just like every, you know, there's going to be somebody that's going to try seven songs and there'll be somebody that tries 10 songs. As Indian weddings go on for weeks, I think. Maybe we're getting a little closer to that sort of Bollywood. I think we are. You know, that's stylized more than one dress. I've got a dress for this and then I've got a dress we have, for that. We have one, you'll love this to the Bollywood point. We have one, it's a Friday night wedding. They get married Friday night, party Friday night. Saturday night, there's a another party. Yeah. They're keeping people in. <laughs> and there, there needs to be an elephant involved. Somebody right. needs to ride in on something. I don't even know if that's like a one-upsmanship thing, but it. But to your point about the Indian weddings, it's like they continue on. Whatever happened to, you just have the service and the, you know, the, the reception, and then you go home or go to your hotel room after, and then the next morning maybe you have breakfast with a couple or, or something. Or drive through Elvis, <laughs> you know? Get her done. Yeah. But uh, more weddings, they just keep coming. This was a good one. Um, you know, I had a little moment when we got we got in a little late I had to Denver and I uh, couldn't decide what the hell to do. And we ended up going to my mom's place in Fort Collins. And I was like, oh, I should go back up to Denver and see my friends because this was Friday night before the wedding was Saturday. And I just like I had a, a mental moment where I just I thought I could go up to Denver. And I was just like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then it, I ended up just like freaking myself out. And I really should have just. The lesson was I made the decision to go to Fort Collins to see my mom who wanted to see us. We just had landed at the wrong time. And I was I was fighting against that decision like so hard. It was like fighting against the current. The current was you're in Fort Collins and I was trying to swim against it. That is why we have this podcast. It, that was very It was literally Steve. the perfect solving Steve moment. I had to share it. It was like I, the wedding was really good. I shouldn't but Friday night I'm sitting in bed, not being able to go to sleep, just thinking like, oh, I should be with my friends in, in Denver right now. Well, let's go uh, out with some notes, okay? Yeah. What's uh, What didn't make it into print or what didn't make it uh, out of your mouth in our podcast? What are some, what are, what are the little tidbits that you're thinking, Steve? Well, I had this really goofy idea as I dozed off on the airplane home, flying from Denver to LaGuardia, which is a mess, by the way, on Monday. All-time worst airport in America, LaGuardia Airport. Do not fly in there. All I've done is <laughs> drop people off there, and that is a nightmare in and of itself. Yeah, we got into a... I paid for a driver. You'd think that we wouldn't have had to sit in the garage for an hour and a half. But sure enough, that's what we did on Monday when we got back. But anyways, so we're in we're in air, I doze off. But I, I, you know, I was thinking of something, and of course now I don't know what it was, but it was this, I knew it was this like brilliantly powerful idea, but it just slipped my mind. And when I reawoke, I could not figure out what the hell I was thinking about. Uh, and I said to you before we were recording, it could have been I was a mermaid or whatever. Mm-hmm. I will never know. But the idea came to me as I woke up, like, we, I wish that I could invent or somebody could invent like something or it's in your head that traps your idea and gets it to your phone, your email or something and sends whatever your, your thought was to you. Cause as a writer, it's actually surprising how bad I am at capturing my brilliant moments. I promise you someone at MIT is, is working, working on, on dream notes. Yeah. Dream notes. That's it. Dream notes. I promise exactly. somebody's working on that. Cause notes, like we were saying, I love putting them in my phone. I record myself verbally. I write them out in notes when I have the thought I'm good at like that. But sometimes there's just moments where you don't write them down and then they really do just slip away. And so the dream notes is like your extra layer of protection. I also love the idea of how precious we all think we all are. I know, I know. It's so, it's It's like the things I think are so important that even when I'm asleep, those need to be recorded for posterity. Otherwise, how's anyone going to know? Yeah. But you do wonder what you're leaving on the table in your sleep. That's exactly it. That's my exact fear. All those miles above the ground was just like, 
what did I just leave on the table? Like that could have been it. That could get me out of my current job and into something that I like more. And it just went away. Like, it, might, it might not be though. That's totally the ego. It could be nothing. It could be me being a mermaid. You know, it could be nothing. Well, and, and maybe you'll write a book about a fisherman. Right. There you go. Maybe it's already in play. I was going to say, maybe it was just that. It was just uh, more about the fish. Maybe that's enough. And that needs completion. Exactly. That takes us to another day, though. Steve, as always, I enjoyed the time. Thank you so much, Scott. Solving Steve is a production of Scott Schulte Communications. The Typewriter by Leroy Anderson. Copyright 1950, Woodbury Music Company. Used with permission. <laughs>